Hey, Terry here. Narrative coach, writer, and sapiosexual. And welcome to another episode of The Power of Stories, Turning Obstacles into Opportunities. Each week, I'll be offering a 20 to 40 minute story sharing experience with someone who's turned a personal challenge into one of growth and learning, coming out on the other side with determination and joy, all by the power of changing their perspective and thereby their story. The idea being of inspiring and motivating you out there and giving you a sense of hope when life gets difficult. And 2020 has certainly thrown us a fair share of obstacles and difficulties that we're still dealing with. Now please bear in mind that this is a podcast for mature adults who won't get offended by the odd swearing and who is prepared for a life story full of messiness. I stand for and promote a culture of imperfection. So know that these episodes won't be pitch perfect or of studio recording quality. We're just making do with what we have while life carries on in the background. This week, I have the international Bero on the podcast, a Venezuelan woman who's built a new life and home for herself in Berlin and who now works as a UX designer and researcher as well as a life coach. And her story will evolve around immigration, identity, belonging and community. And I am so excited to be sharing her amazing story. Talk about turning an obstacle into an opportunity and utilizing the power of a story despite the hardship around her new beginning. So welcome on board. Um, I'm trying very hard to, to get the Venezuelan uh, sound better. That's right, yeah. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> uh, welcome on my podcast. And if you want to kick us off by telling us a little bit about yourself and what it is you do. Sure. So thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Um, my name is Veronica Rivera. I come from Venezuela, as you said, but everybody calls me Vero. And I work as a, as you said, um, coach in my business, which is called A Better Size. And I focus on immigration uh, issues, let's say. And I also work as a UX designer and researcher in an agency here in Berlin, where I live. Oh, wow. Uh, there's so much interesting stuff I already want to ask you, but <laughs> let's pace myself. And um, if you want to tell the listener your story of having faced an obstacle or multiple obstacles and how you turn that into an opportunity. Sure. Well, um, I came to Berlin in 2014. And the reason why I left Venezuela is because of the crisis. Uh, back then when I was living there, it was starting to be very difficult to find the basics. So let's say, um, instead of going to the supermarket to buy the food that you want to buy, then you will go knowing that you will come back with whatever was there. And this became a problem for me because I have type one diabetes. And in the same way that was difficult to find food, it started to become more and more complicated to find the, my treatment basically. Um, so I had a feeling that, okay, things are slowing, slowly going down, maybe not so slow, slowly now that I think about it. So yes, I was considering, okay, I want to leave, but I wasn't sure where to. 
because my financial situation wasn't amazing, I would say. Like, I think I had a good situation, but I thought I really want to go to Europe, but I'm not sure if I can afford it. So what I did was coming to Germany in 2013 with my savings. And I thought, I will just go there, travel a little bit, uh, get a taste of it. And then I will come back and then I will save to go somewhere else, whatever I can afford it. But the situation was that first, I really liked Berlin when I was here. And also that's very, I think, related to the fact that it was the summer. I'm not sure if it would have been the same if I was here in the winter, of course. And second, I noticed that because of, I won't go to, into details, but um, it was gonna be more affordable than I than what I thought it was going to be first because in Germany you can study not exactly for free but it's super affordable because the universities don't have high fees and so on and also the food and uh, accommodation was still relatively cheap um, I would say now in Berlin things are quickly changing but back then um, was still inside my budget so basically I went back to Venezuela to yeah, sell everything I had and do the paperwork to come back here. That was a period of around six or seven months. So I left at the end of the summer and my plan was to come back at the beginning of the spring of next year. And I still remember my last month in Venezuela. So my only thought was like, I just need to go back to Berlin. And um, I tell this to a lot of friends because I think sometimes Berlin is a little bit like the, the show Lost, like that you have to go back to the island uh, because that's more or less how I felt. Like I felt that uh, Berlin was kind of home. It had a, a strange feeling of home for me since the first time that I came. And um, of course, this, the bad situation in Venezuela or the crisis was a also kind of pushing me in that direction. So anyway, I remember uh, going for runs in Venezuela and then I always was running, picturing the TV tower, which is kind of like one of the, uh, you know, touristic things in Berlin. Um, and I think a lot about that still today, like this, this exercise, like back then, of course, I didn't know anything about coaching, but this exercise of visualizing where I wanted to be. So anyway, um, I finished my paperwork and because of the political situation in Venezuela, uh, the way that you had to exchange your money, so let's say your, your local currency to euros was through the government. And I won't go into details because it's kind of like a complicated uh, process. But um, that was also one of the reasons why I could afford to move because there was kind of like two exchanges and one through the government was kind of, let's say back then affordable and the other was just crazy, like was almost 10 times the value of the, of the coin, I guess you say that. And um, so I said like, yeah, okay, I'm just gonna make it happen. And I talked to friends and family and yeah, figured out how to, uh, let's say, collect the money to move. 
Uh, and then I did the paperwork, which was you basically need to send a lot of papers and proof that you were going to come back to the country and prove that you were going to do some, like I said that I was going to come to Germany to study German for six months and then I was going to come back. Um, and they ask you for proof that you're going to come back. Anyway, it's, it's quite, um, let's say, there's a lot of layers in the whole political crisis. But that's what I did. And by the time that I reached the date where I had to fly, they still hadn't haven't approved my solicitude. So basically, during that process, it's like you prove that you have the money to exchange, um, which back then was like the money that I needed to be one year in Germany, because Germany asked you to prove that you have the money to be here one year, you know, without asking for any help or anything. Um, and then there, that money was there basically locked until they approve or rejected your solicitude because you know at the moment if they say yes, of course the money needs to be there in order to be exchanged. So um, it was it was a very tricky situation because if I didn't travel because they didn't approve the solicitude, they might approve it maybe one week after and said, well, but now it's not valid because you didn't travel, so you don't need the money anymore. So I kind of like decided to take the risk of traveling without money, uh, hoping that they were gonna approve the, the paperwork quickly. And that took five months. So it was a very stressful time because I, I had absolutely no money. So I came with it was something around 200 euros that my grandma gave me, like as a, you know, good luck, take care. And uh, I remember that the, the trip to Berlin was very long because I took like a cheaper flight and so on. So I had to travel from my city, which is the second biggest one in Venezuela. So from there to the capital, which is Caracas. And that was a very early flight. So let's say I didn't sleep because I was all stressed. And then I traveled at 6 a.m. And then in the airport of Caracas, I needed to wait until 6 p.m. to travel to Spain. And the thing is, back then there was like a lot of, you know, stories about, no, the airport is sometimes not safe because if the military come and they, you know, do a checkup, they might take your money. Like, of course, at, at some point you couldn't tell which ones were just stories and and what was really the reality. So basically I just, I was the whole day with my 200 euros in one of these, I don't know exactly how you call this. It's not exactly like a granny bag, but these ones that you have under the, the shirt. And I had that and I also had, um, so basically insulin for six months because I knew that if, if I ran out of insulin, it was probably gonna be very expensive here. Um, so the, yes, I was waiting for my flight the whole day. And then by the point I finally was uh, on the plane, I was completely exhausted. So I, I passed out. And um, long story short, I, I arrived in Madrid and then I needed to take another plane to Amsterdam. And when I was on the plane uh, to Amsterdam, I realized that I lost the money. So. I lost the only 200 euros that I had and I had a mini panic attack because 
you know, of course, 200 is not like that was going to keep me alive for so long, but um, it was, of course, better than nothing. So, well, yeah, at some point, like I panicked, but then, okay, you're in on the plane. What, what are you going to do, no? Waiting, and that's it. So when I landed in Amsterdam, I call um, a friend of mine and um, we were planning to maybe meet once I was in the airport because um, I also had to wait alone. Yeah, a few hours until I took the final one to Berlin. And then I called her and I said, like, I, I lost the only thing I had. I don't know what I'm going to do. So they, she and, and, and the husband they're both good friends of mine, and I actually did my paperwork with the husband uh, to come here. And he was going to Amsterdam back then. So they came and they gave me again the 200 euros and they bought me dinner. And yeah, they basically sent me to Berlin like, OK, good luck. Let's see what's going to happen. And yeah, so I arrived in Berlin. I don't know, it was already quite late in the night. And then I stayed with uh, with that. Well, now she's a good friend of mine, but it was a person that I met the year before during my holiday um, through couch surfing. And um, so, yeah, the first months were quite stressful because I didn't want to tell, for example, I didn't want to tell her or anybody the situation that I was in because I didn't want people to think that because I'm crazy, I just came here without money and I just, you know, like gonna improvise until I make it basically, which, which was kind of the plan. Um, and of course, I also didn't tell my family back then because I didn't want them to panic. So I now think about those times and I think like that was absolutely crazy what I did. And I don't think that I will put myself in that situation again. But I also know that the situation in Venezuela was reaching a point where I couldn't take it anymore. And I thought like, I need to do something, whatever it is, to move forward because or else who knows what's gonna happen. So one thing is like not finding food, but I need to have several injections a day. And if I couldn't find my insulin anymore, then yeah, I don't know. Like I was very afraid of that of that situation, and that situation came because uh, we also have, or we know, other people that have diabetes in Venezuela, and their health, of course, was very much affected by the by the crisis. So anyway, long story short, that the first five months, um, I was jumping from couch to couch. Um, thanks to the people that I met on Couchsurfing and new people that I met during, during the process. One of the things that they asked me to approve my visa was to have a um, German course. So basically what I did was like um, trying to figure out what I was gonna do. No? Uh, I did different things to let's say survive those months. So, Okay, there was an initiative that somebody told me about, which was food sharing. So you could find like free food. Um, I don't know if that's a thing where you live, but for example, bakeries that they cannot sell the things at the end of the day. So these kind of things. And of course I wasn't eating, let's say the most healthy diet by then. 
Um, but now that I think about it, I think I was in survival mode. So, okay, let's, let's figure things out now. And in the long term, especially, uh, I hope everything's gonna be fine, um, that this is not gonna be forever. And I was also in my early 20s. So I guess I was in this, you know, exploration and uh, experimentation phase. Um, so yeah. I, I, I try to think about that time and it doesn't feel as bad in the moment. So of course I was really stressed and so on, but so if somebody tells me, do you want to go abroad and live without money or house or anything for five months? Of course, I wouldn't say like, yeah, please sign me in. But once you're there, you realize Yes, you just have to keep on going. It's not like you just sit to do nothing and you know waiting for that or something. And um, so yeah, I think it was a very crazy growing experience. And now that I have my stability back, I think okay, if I manage to keep moving when I had basically nothing. Um, I can also do it now when I have a lot more resources and more support. So yes, at some point, I think after five months um, of craziness and madness, I was on a train in the middle of the night with this same friend that um, gave me a home for the first days. And I got an email saying that my solicitude was gonna be approved and that I finally was gonna be able to access my money and move on with my life. And yes, I just remember like crying in, in the train, <laughs> like in disbelief. And from there on it was, let's say, I would say the more normal if there's such thing, um, immigration story. So yeah, finding a home, finding friends, finding support, finding a place in, in the uni because I was here on, um, it's something like what comes before of the student visa. So it's like a visa that Germany um, gives for people looking for universities here. And then you can be here for one year studying German and until you find a place in the uni basically. That's much more or less it. Wow. Well Wow. <laughs> what a story, what a journey. Like, yeah, it, it really puts things into perspective, I think, for a lot of us, um, especially here in, in the Western world, Western Europe, and the privilege we have and the things we take for granted. Um, yeah, I think, um, I think this story is going to hit a lot of people and, and take stock of, of how lucky we are with the system we have around us and uh, yeah I'm just sitting here with my like my heart and my uh, my throat is a story like waking up and then that money is gone and the disbelief that someone would do that to a sleeping person on a plane um thank you so much for sharing that my pleasure <laughs> um and I wrote down I really like the sentence you said I'm just gonna make it happen it yes a, a certain kind of mindset I think to to just have that attitude yeah i keep i keep coming back to that because 
like I said, I think once we have the stability, it's difficult to remove it, you know, to say like, okay, if I could make that happen, then I could also make whatever it is that's coming now. So then, then I, I said to myself sometimes, okay, this is like a first world problem, you know, like if I could do that, then I can also do this. Um, but it's not always so easy because of course now I'm in like in a different state of mind, let's say like I, I don't think about how, how am I going to find insulin. I know that I'm supported by a good healthcare system and so on. Um, but I do come back a lot to that, what you said, like at the beginning, it was very easy for me to be grateful for everything because I just came from this crisis. And then for me, just going to the supermarket and being able to buy things with whatever money I, I had, you know, it didn't have to be a lot to find enough to eat. Um, I already felt like a big thing. So I had a lot of little stories of like being in, I don't know how to explain it, like in all, for example, the post system. I, <laughs> I told this story to my boyfriend when we met that for me, the first time that I realized that you could just drop the letters in these yellow boxes in the streets and they were gonna come the next day to the person that was like mind blowing for me. <laughs> but yes, the little things. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it, I think that's something most of us need to pause and appreciate the little things, the little things we take for granted. And when we think life is not going our way to remember how much, how many luxuries we have around us. Um, and I really value that you have given me that perspective today. Well, I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> So, so where are you now? Because I know you're doing lots of interesting work. Would you tell us a bit more about that? Sure. So last year I did my training to become a coach and my initial idea wasn't exactly to turn it into a business. So because I do UX um, design and research, I thought, okay, this, the abilities of, of being a good coach will allow me to, for example, run better workshops, artwork, or run better interviews, which is something that I really enjoy doing in my research work. Um, but as you know, the whole process of becoming a coach is also quite a journey into personal development. And for me, it also helped me heal a lot of things that were still, let's say, you know, I always said like under a pile of paperwork because I kind of had to keep on going. Um, I didn't stop to think about those. So last year I decided, okay, I, I want to offer this to other people that were in a situation similar to mine or in a completely different situation related to the, let's say, things you have to deal with while you're an immigrant or an expat or an outsider or however you want to call yourself. Um, so that's the main focus of my business, A Better Side. Um, I continue working as a US, UX designer and researcher and I think they complement quite well and I'm not sure if at some point I'm gonna go, let's say, full on into coaching. Let's see how things um, evolve but that's more or less the status and in my personal life I just 
I'm in this moment waiting to get German citizenship, which for me feels like a very big milestone and was also a very interesting experience because I need to give up my Venezuelan nationality in order to receive the new one. So there's a lot of exploration in my practice as a coach. So for myself and the people that I work with um, around our identity and how we think about that, especially when we are so far from our, let's say, could be home, but that, that can be reflected in so many different aspects. So yes, now I live here. I still live in Berlin with my, with my boyfriend who's, um, who's German. And I think it really teach me a lot about those differences that we talk uh, on perspective and our dog. <laughs> and yes, I, I feel like I'm basically closing this this wild episode of my life to start a new one um, and that feels very exciting mm. yeah i'm i'm thinking there's a whole episode here worth talking about um identity and belonging and when you move and and also culture getting used to another culture another way of of, of living that's i find deeply fascinating i love all that sort of stuff so maybe that's an, an episode for another day I would love to do that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Um, so if you had, like based on your lived experiences, if you had to give the listener a message or a piece of advice, what would it be? I would say keep in mind the goal or, or the vision that you have. Because I think for me, the main goal was to be safe wherever I was living. And that was what allowed me to keep going because I knew that, okay, things are not looking so well right now, but I could start seeing the things that were making my life better. For example, what I said that I could find the basics. Um, and now I do have that better life that I came to look for. But of course, if we are not exactly sure why we're doing things or what is the goal behind it? Um, it's also easier to, you know, stop trying. And I know this is not applicable to all the situations, but sometimes I do believe that everything that happened to us or the people that we meet are, are there to teach us something that sometimes we don't want to learn. Um, and sometimes we don't see it immediately, you know, like back then I couldn't see, well, this is now allowing me to explore something that I really love, which is coaching and talking about these stories with other people. Um, but this moment of, wow, that happened because of um, always come, at least in my opinion. Mm, yeah. Um, and I guess <clears throat> that ties into the my message, like turning an obstacle into an opportunity. It, it is that wanting to learn something take a lessons from something that's hard and that can sometimes be difficult and I think we can get a bit stubborn and not wanting to do that as well thank you for that so is there any projects you want to share anything you think people should look up or indeed if they have any questions or they want to work with you how can they get in touch sure so the easiest way to find me will be my instagram account which is a better site but with points in between. So a point better point site or um, going to my website, abettersite.com. 
and there's the, all the information about uh, my coaching business related to immigration. If you have any questions, proposals, um, I'm happy to talk. And now I'm designing a program to work in a group um, to share stories about immigration and as I said, to connect to the person that we are or we want to be, whatever we are. Cool. And that's it. Perfect. So all the de details will be in the podcast description as well, as well as my details if anyone has any questions for me and want to get in touch about anything. So all that's left to say is thank you so much for joining us and sharing your story. That was um, quite the adventure. Thank you for having me. And to the listener, take care and stay safe. And during these times, stay sane and make kind choices. Hi again. This is a postscript. So if you got all you needed, you can switch off now. But I just wanted to say thank you once again for listening to my podcast. I hope you found today's episode as interesting and inspiring as I did. I absolutely love hearing people's stories, so it's probably no wonder that I became a psychologist and then a counsellor, spending my time either researching or listening to powerful stories. Before I trained to become a narrative coach, utilising people's stories to get them unstuck and create hope, resilience and more happiness. I'd of course love your help in spreading these stories further, which can be done by sharing this podcast, liking it, reviewing it, and following it. You may have noticed that this is an advertisement-free zone, well, other than the guest who gets to plug themselves, because I'm very much about generous contribution, collaboration, connection, and anti-competition, and without a price tag attached whenever possible. But anyway... What's your story 